applause today, and I appreciate that. That's got to be a thing, even in the church, in the reverent times when we're studying God's Word, to be um, applauding. And I know they mean well, but um, uh, an amen or just a smile is what's uh, helpful here. appreciate that. I speak across the country at different things, and I was shocked the first time that happened to me. Um, is the screen on? I need to put it on. Um, Oh, just when I hit it, it's on black, I bet. Yep, you're right. Thankful you're back there. (laughs) Okay, um, one way that we can be a woman after God's own heart is, what was one? Prepare for the fight. Feminism and all that goes with that. What about number two? Pick your priorities, big ones, especially for women. And three. Poise for purity. Okay. Some serious topics we're bringing up today. Um, Let's have number four, patient parenting. Uh, What a big, big topic in a happy marriage, to be on the same page with that. And in today's, I've already shared a story about where the world wants your kids. And the way that you parenting them to go out into the world and be that salt and light that we're supposed to all be, and that's a tough one. I was a perfect mom, and then I had kids. You know, people that don't have children, they were always telling me what I should do. And I thought I was going to do it. In my pre-children fantasy, I popped out a bunch of kids who were great sleepers, and they never had diarrhea shooting out of the back of their diaper into their hair. And in my fantasy, my children all called me mom. And never mom. And that's what I got most of the time. And my children never were going to pitch a fit in the mall or church or at a funeral. Other people's kids were going to, but not mine. Uh-uh. Before I had kids also, I knew that motherhood would fulfill me completely. But in reality, motherhood is just nuts. Um, sometimes I had to hide in the pantry to eat a snack. And we didn't even have a pantry. It was like a little closet. And this parenting gig, though, it is not for sissies or the faint-hearted. Don't get me wrong. I love my kids. I did the best I could do. It was all about them. But they have these different personalities. And I know yours did, too, and do, too. And you're raising these little bitty children, these little bitty personalities. You're raising them to be adults. And they all have different wants and needs. Everybody's different. You can raise them in the same home, same parents, same house. It just doesn't work that way. But what I did was I created this fantasy of what motherhood would look like. And then when I couldn't live up to the fantasy, and I'll be honest with you, I couldn't. Then I laid at bed at night and I worried about all of the things that I had, I felt inadequate to do that job. And then I realized I shouldn't be doing that because basically I am not superwoman. I'll go ahead and dispel that myth. And I can't do everything perfectly. And so instead, I started thinking about all of the things that I did do right that day. I kept everyone alive. Nobody was on fire. They didn't run into the street naked that day. And they don't even know like how to open the door, but somehow they're out there. And just maybe I could even fit a shower in during the week. Those were the days when I could just think, oh, if I could just sleep five hours uninterrupted. And then now that I'm 57, nobody's at my house making noise, and I cannot sleep. <laughs> Life is so cruel. It is backwards. 
But anyway, all of that stuff deserves a little credit too. We pile so much guilt on ourselves as women in general, and especially women raising children, because we're just self-abusive freaks. We just like doing that for some reason and comparing ourselves to other people. We need to stop and we need to change our focus. We need to put on the crown for sure and remind everybody who's the queen. My dentist said not long ago, you're going to need a crown. And I said, I know, right? (laughs) Right? It's what I've been telling everybody. And after surviving throw-ups and fusses and people leaving the house or going out somewhere with a dog, and I kept everyone fed and loved, oh yeah, that deserves some kudos. Parenting is hard. You know, there's a lot of difference between the male parent that lives there and the female parent that lives there, right? The mother knows the dentist appointments and the school schedule and the softball schedule and the hopes and dreams and fears and friends of all of her children. And the male parent, well, he's vaguely aware of some short people that live somewhere in the house and they keep appearing. He doesn't know, you know much about any, anything else. But if we're going to be a woman after God's own heart, and that's what we're contemplating today, We're going to have to do and discipline and train our children God's way. And that's tough in the United States of America. You know that. Discipline has become a dirty word. Now, I'm a teacher. So just so you know where I'm coming from, that's what I've done all of my life. My boys were unfortunate enough to have a teacher for a mother. They got away with nothing, you know, where school was concerned. But our society has gotten away from discipline. Discipline is not a dirty word. It is a way of guiding and training anybody, anything, people of any age, a dog, an animal, the military. It's training up somebody in the way that they should walk. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I have sat in audiences where somebody has literally taught that this means if you're a Christian parent and you take your kids to church all the time, then when they are old, they'll go to church. And nothing could be farther from the truth. We all know that those people become adults and sometimes they make decisions that are opposite of what we would like. That Bible verse cannot be teaching that. It doesn't teach that. It teaches, it does not mean that that's, you know, you do that and it's foolproof. It's a principle, not a promise. Actually, in that culture, in that day, in that language, train meant a child ages 16 to 23 who was learning a vocation. That's between those ages when Jesus would have been trained to be a carpenter and to learn that trade. And so that is not what it means. Train up a child in the way he should go, not in the way he wants to go. And so it's all discipline. I wish I knew how many sentences or corrections that when my kids were little that I said in a day. Maybe some of you have counted yours. You say a lot, do this. And one day I realized I was talking to Eddie. You know, he says, do this, get that off, wipe that off your shirt. No, go, put that over there. No, I said, don't do that. I'm going to now just pick that up. You're going to stay there until you pick that up. And you're just doing that all the day. And I remembered I was talking to Eddie, telling him that. You have to, that's what you do. We're bossy. But on occasions, <clears throat> when that big hairy toe is flopped across that line and the child comes back to you with a, you shut up, or I will not, then it's not the time for a timeout. I'm talking Bible here. It's not the time to send the child to their room to pout. It is not the time 
to wait on poor old dad to come plodding in from all the problems of the day just to handle this. Kyle told somebody one time that he wished that his mother, he had heard his mother say, just wait till your father gets home. Because I never said that. <laughs> I just dealt with it, you know, where it was. We had some, um, we had some, uh, some challenges to authority in my house too, you know. Um, Proverbs 23, 13 and 14 says, Withhold not, now this is the Bible, it's not Dr. Spock, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, and we know how that's meant, he shall not die. He'll sound like he's dying, but he's not going to die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. My first child, who was the preacher I referred to, see, this is where we get the idea that I'm, I'm a perfect mother, because I could look at him and bring him to tears. Do you want me to wear you out? End, end of it. Go way away from it. Stay away from it. Don't have to tell him but one or two times. The second one, Eddie referred to him as little Hitler because he was going to take over my home, came out of me demanding, and it wasn't just like, and I don't slap, I spanked. You knew you had been whipped when I whipped you. And even that, I hear people saying, uh, well, I whipped him and it doesn't do any good. Well, you're not doing it enough and hard enough. I would have to whip him five times before he would not touch what I told him not to touch. He was just that kind of kid. I had to adjust. This one I was working on all the time. Now he's meek and easy to get along with. People just can't even believe it. That no, Kirk. And they say, oh, you're just making that up. No, I'm not. I was there. Even when they get to be teenagers, you know, there were some battles that we had to fight. Disrespectful talk and telling me where they're going to go. I'd make sure it was their room the weekend and then we wouldn't have to worry about it. But remember, I'm a teacher and whatever happens out in society, it walks through the school doors. Because we in America, we train everybody. Everybody goes to school. It's unfair to compare us to other countries about grades and stuff. I think that's all a bunch of hooey anyway. But they don't educate everybody. We educate everybody. And what is happening out in society, it walks through the doors. I've seen it all, heard it all. You just can't even imagine. But kids are running the homes today. We don't want to upset Junior. It's just disrespect, disrespectful talking. You might say some kind words, but you're putting that attitude in it. And no, we're not doing it. What are we doing? We're training these kids. We want them to get to heaven. God put them in a home. Ideally with two parents who take them to church and train them up in the way that they should go spiritually. Um, sometimes we have different ways that that looks like, but that's the ideal. That's why that child needs to be taught 24-7 how to act, how to view the world around him. And we have so many problems with that today. There's too much computer time and video time and not enough homework and taking the garbage out and washing the dog and learning a work ethic that God wants us to teach them. Parenting hasn't changed, maybe the way that we go about it, but we still have the goal, same goal in mind, getting to heaven, getting to heaven, getting ourselves to heaven, getting all our kids to heaven. Learning about the authority. See, they're not learning about authority from mom and dad, so they go out into the world and they don't have authority for the police, or teachers, or anybody else. And certainly not God. And grandparents, if I have any grandparents here, I feel like I do. Y'all, let me tell you something. Y'all better stick up for the parents. Those people will burn you. So you're like, okay, I'm like, I know she said not candy, but I'm just going to give you just one piece of candy. And don't tell her. First thing he's going to say when she comes back in the room, 
Gemma gave me candy. I'm eating it. They will burn you. If the parents say they can't do that, they stay out of there, they can't wear that, they can't go there, they can't do that, you, my advice to you is you better do it. Stick with the parents. They will not burn you. Let me put this slide up there. Three men who I think, in all the years that I have been talking about education and these subjects, have done more harm to our society in the realm of discipline than anybody else I can think of. The first one is Charles Darwin, lived in the 1800s. He said and wrote a lot about the philosophy that we came from animals. Okay, now stay with me here. So he says we came from animals. In the 50s, Sigmund Freud was at his height, I guess probably fading by then. Um, Sigmund Freud, psychologist, wrote that we should not be punished for acting like... No, no I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Um, yeah, we shouldn't be punished for acting like the animals that we are. So Charles Darwin said we came from animals. Sigmund Freud said we shouldn't be punished, that we should act like... That's what I messed up on. Sigmund Freud said we should be able to act like the animals that we are. And Benjamin Spock, before the turn of the 2000s, he write, writes about that we should not be punished for acting like the animals that we are. So we came from animals, we should act like the animals we are, and we shouldn't be punished for acting like the animals we are. And hence, we have raised the most violent generation in our nation's history. And there's no Bible in any of that. Children don't behave, at least at my school. We don't spank them, we give them a pill. 1% of our children at uh, the middle school where I taught, they did need a pill. There are cases where children have chemical breakdowns and they need something to help them focus or something. That's for a doctor to say, not me. But I know that a lot more than 1% of our kids were getting drugs. And uh, I don't call it ADD, I call it ABD, ain't been disciplined. That's what's the matter with most of them. They got ABD. Y'all know any kids that's got ABD? Lots of them. And what it does is leaves the parents crying instead of the kids. In my day, I never saw my daddy cry. I was the one doing the crying when I had messed up. And I learned how the world works. And I haven't been a perfect model citizen, but I was always clear at who was running my home. And it made me relax. As a child, I didn't worry about all these adult things that kids today worry about. Mom and daddy and who's at home and if I'm going to eat and, you know, just... It's just incredible. Times have changed, but there are still a few things that Junior needs to learn from Mama. But here's our reason that we bring that up in a topic about a woman after God's own heart. Being a good parent is part of that. And not contributing to this generation that we have here, but teaching our children how to live and be pleasing to God. What about our goals for worship? Now, if you've got tiny little kids... You know, I remember thinking, I hope one day, one day, way off into the future that I get to hear an entire sermon. Y'all, if you've got kids now, you know what I'm saying? I see some heads nodding. Just let me just hear the whole thing. Because with the older one, you know, it was a look. But with the younger one, we were leaving. Every Sunday, I sat where the uh, pew was missing right here. I sat and I sat right there all those years because he was going out. We were going out every Sunday, and we didn't go to the nursery and get a bunch of toys and play with because those little guys are manipulators. If they learn I can do this and get her to take me back there where the fun stuff is, oh, no, we're not having fun. We're at church. We're not having fun. <laughs> Kidding. Um, so out, get a whipping, back in. 
out, get a whipping, back in. And that was just something I did. Am I really glad I did that now? Did I do it always perfectly? No, I was not a real perfect mother. But again, my children were never confused as to who was running the home. And I think that taught them something about the world works. Has your child ever thrown a Mickey Mouse toy like five rows back during worship? Mine has. And were you so embarrassed that you just wanted the earth to open up right there and swallow you like I'm quitting church. I'm never coming back here. I'm so embarrassed. And if it happened to, if it happened to you as it happened to me, I'm sure that you noticed some of the glares that you got. Some of our well-meaning brethren and sistren. Um, the people that wish that your child would stop making noise or moving or breathing. Should this happen to a young mom sitting next to you, I'm going to give you a little advice what she would like for you to do. Pick the toy up and give it back to her with a smile. For the hand that threw that toy might possibly be the hand of a future deacon, future elder. See, we, don't, we tend to not think about the big picture. A future preacher or godly wife. And please tell her then or maybe later that you realize babies are the church of tomorrow and that you're glad she and her child were there today. Babies. Now, the eight-year-old, I give you permission to glare at her if her eight-year-old did that. <laughs> but worship is difficult. I believe that worship is the most difficult thing that God has given me to do. Take communion. Think only about him and his death and what he did for us and not let my mind wander to the pot roast or if I turn the stove off or what, or the Mickey Mouse is flying by me. It's really hard. And so in order, we're, we're supposed to be teaching our little ones how to worship. First thing we have to know is how to do it ourselves. What does that look like? And set a good example. On Saturday night, perhaps prepare the little people for what we're going to do tomorrow. You know, the little people that are 3, 4, and 5 turn into 10, 11, 12-year-olds and 17, 18, 19-year-olds. They do. And so training them, and this is what it looks like, and saying to them, this is important. Shush. You're not being quiet. You're participating. Look at what we're doing. I can't talk to you right now. Mommy's worshiping. Things like that. And I know it's a constant battle. And you're thinking, can I ever, ever hear the entire sermon? You will someday. They leave. And then you're, you have those melancholy moments for when you wish you had little people sitting beside you still. One thing that we did is we always sit up front. I think that helped with the distractions. If you're sitting in the back, they see everything. I'm distracted when I sit in back. Have you ever done that? There's a lot of stuff that goes on in the church building. <laughs> and follow through. You know, have them, I don't know, whatever age yours are, to water it down, to sort of make it so that they can participate and be a part of that. One thing I always, I don't know why I'm like this, I'm a big picture person, I hate regrets, and I always am thinking about out there, and so I used to think about when Kyle and Kirk were little boys, I would think, what do I want them, I wonder what they're going to look like, first of all, I wondered what they were going to look like when they're 18, and what do I want their behavior to look like when they're 18? So I would think about my 18-year-old is sitting in worship in our building. What do I want him to be doing? Playing on the phone at 18? Well, say that's okay at 10. Uh, do I want him to be singing, paying attention, opening their Bible that they brought with them, that they read regularly? Do I want them to open that and be 
looking at the scripture with the preacher and thinking about it? Do I want him to be opening his own songbook and singing along? Well, then when they're able to stand and hold the book, they should. And when they can stand and hold the book and read, they should. And on and on it goes. That's, that's training. It's not expecting them to do what we do, but it's training. And so this worship thing is difficult. And we need to work on that every day of those 18 years that we have those babies at home. Um, what about working moms? <clears throat> I have sat in an audience too and been kind of, the speaker was sort of acting like I was being a bad mom because I was teaching, working outside the home. Well, the Proverbs 31 woman worked. She bought it. She took care of her family. She sewed. She made things. She went and bought a field and sold it, bought it. She was doing all this stuff. She was making things and trading with the merchants in town, making money. Her family, and, and I don't know if that's really one woman or not. Some scholars think that maybe that was a conglomeration of women. She was a superwoman anyway, but she did work. And in Titus 2, 5, when it tells us to be keepers at home, you can be a keeper at home just because you're not working a 40-hour job also doesn't mean you're keeping your home. It's what you do when you're home, and it's what you do with those people and those things that you've been blessed with. Lydia, in Acts 16, <clears throat> says that she was hospitable. She constrained Paul. She didn't just give him the option of staying with her. She constrained him to stay with her. And one thing I'm so glad we did during those years that they were home, and we still do it, but I hope they will remember the great godly gospel preachers that we invited into our home when they were there for a gospel meeting or passing through town. The Curtis Cates and the Gary Hampton and the Andrew Connolly. Uh, and just so many people that I'm so glad they sat down at the table and saw mom and dad being hospitable. Don't have to have a perfect house. We don't. Don't have to have perfect stuff. Just have to be willing. Being the parent that our children need to get them to heaven one day is how we will be judged if we are a woman after God's own heart. Let's move on to speech. Number five, proper speech. This one and one more. I can usually control my mouth, but my face gives it away. You know what I'm saying? Those eyes. They're, I'm saying things. I have to watch that. In Matthew 26, verse 30, uh, 73, I think it is, they were around the campfire when Jesus had been unlawfully arrested. And they were waiting around there scared and not knowing what was going to happen. And one of them said, hey, I think, I think you were with him. And, and he says, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. And I thought it was interesting what, what they said to them. He said, thy speech betray thee. Thy speech betray thee. I think what they were saying, you've got that accent. People in Virginia know I didn't come from Virginia. They say, hey, where are you from? I am from Alabama. I'm an Alabama girl. But sometimes our speech as a Christian might betray us just a little bit about what comes out of our mouth might give it away that we don't have a heart for God. And the best intentions can go by the, by the wayside. You know, Grandpa Jones, how many of you remember Grandpa Jones? He had a way of saying things, right? Except, and he said, an ounce of shut up is worth a pound of, I wish I hadn't said that. That's said only as Grandpa Jones can say it. And women have, and I've, I've heard men do this worse than women. Women have gotten the... Um, I guess rightly so, that we're, you know, we like to gossip. 
See, women, I got this theory about everything, so here's mine about this. We are emotional creatures, and we deal in feelings where men are like, it's black and white. You know, when it's right or wrong, fix it, move on. And so I think part of that is just us wanting to talk to our friends and tell them things, and then we move over into the realm of maybe it's not something that we should have said. Mama said, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything. And I've had to be quiet sometimes because <laughs> I didn't have anything nice to say about that. Um, an acronym that helps me to know if I'm gossiping or just really, you know, because when you're a teenager, like, well, it's true. <laughs> like, well, just because it's true doesn't mean that I should be saying it. But here's my acronym, and it spells out the word think. I'm not really sure where I got this, but it sure does help me. Whether I'm typing it or um, saying it into a microphone or saying it to the person's face or saying it about something. T, is it true? H, is it honest? I, no, I'm sorry, H is helpful. I would hope we would be honest. T, is it true? H, is it helpful? Is what I'm about to say helpful to the situation or is it just stirring it up a little bit more? I, is it inspiring? Nothing high and mighty meant here, but just like, is it going to make me feel good that I'm participating in this? Have you ever participated in conversation and when you got away, like you wanted to take a shower? Like, you're just like, what was I thinking? She did ask me that and I answered it, but now I wish I really just said nothing. Like, I don't know. T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? Is it necessary that I just add this little caveat to whatever the person was saying? And K, and K I think you probably know, is, is it kind? And I think if we can answer yes to some of those true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind, I think it's a pretty good, pretty good uh, idea that you could go ahead and say that. But a lot of times we just get caught up in it. And even when I'm doing really good with it sometimes, I, I, I catch myself answering questions and adding a little bit more than I should have. Not in a lying kind of way, but just like, I just didn't even need to add that part. I should have just said what they asked me, and I know you struggle with the same things. It says in Proverbs 17:28 that even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Uh, that quote sometimes, this quote I'm about to say, is attributed to Abraham Lincoln. Actually, you know that Abraham Lincoln spent a lot of time reading the Bible every morning, and he probably read that. And the way that he said it is, it's better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I think that's a good one. We just don't think. And now we have these... Um, these words that we use. Now, I'm fixing to step on my own toes here. I want to talk a little bit about some of the euphemisms that we, that we say. I'm from the Deep South. There, are no more, there is no more religious people in a group of the United States or the world that's any more religious than the Deep South, especially the women of the Deep South. And I was raised by a very strong mother. Some of, there's a couple of people here that knew my mother. And a very strong grandmother. And they talked in metaphors and euphemisms all the time. So guess what I grew up doing? I did. They were funny. And they, you know, these southern women, we pray even when we're whipping our children. 
Because we're praying to God to help me not to kill this child. Because I want grandchildren one day. Please, please help me. So these are religious people. They pray and they mean nothing by it. But all I'm saying is if we want to be a woman after God's own heart, maybe we should just have a little piece of this speech discussion that involves some of the things we say. And maybe we're not thinking really about what the other person's hearing. The third commandment states, you shall not take the, nor- the name of your Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, which takes his name in vain. It's actually found in Exodus 27 and Deuteronomy 5.11. It says the same thing. And when I looked up the definition of in vain, once upon a time, it said this, it literally means to use God's name in an empty or trifling way without appropriate reverence. Now when I'm whipping a child, I'm not being reverent, and when I'm um, mad or talking at the car in front of me or, you know, I'm not thinking about God. So that trifling all goes into the rest of it. And in our modern world today, I mean, we even hear Jesus Christ used in contempt. It, I don't know, it's just the way I raised. We didn't say that. And uh, it kind of makes me uh, bristle. I don't know. And we use OMG for texting. That makes it better, right? When we don't say the words. That makes it better? No, it doesn't make it better. So just hear me out on this. With God and Jesus and Christ and his initials and Lord and holy and just some things like that. Just want you to know, I struggle with this one. I'm, better, I'm a lot better in it than I used to be. And I did it for myself. And I did it because I think it's the right thing to do. And I'm doing it for the people that hear me. And that didn't grow up in the deep south. So we've got the word God. And so, well, I, don't, I wouldn't ever say that. But we change it to gall and golly and gosh and gad and egad and almighty and all kinds of, you know, forms of it. And then we say, we wouldn't say Jesus Christ. I saw some of you bristle when I said that. We wouldn't say that. We wouldn't yell that out. You know, when we're frustrated. But we might say, geez, or gee, or she's, or geez, whiz, and cripes, and jeepers, and jingo, and jeezers, and all kinds of things. Jiminy Christmas. And uh, we might say jumping catfish, and jeeper creepers, and you know, just that funny little euphemism that we use because we'd never say God, Jesus, or Jesus Christ. Just hear me out here. And then there's Lord. I mean, I guess that was the most popular one for mother. You know, Lordy mercy. Lordy, Lord, Lord, Lord. I'm not the only one in there. And so I got to thinking, well, you know, would I say Lord, 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 Lord? Some people do. And so there's that one. And then there's Holy. So holy is a word that refers to God's nature, God's work, or anything that where God is present or involved in. And any use of this word, in my opinion, in conjunction with any other word outside that religious connotation, is a violation of what I think the Third Commandment says. Holy cow, holy smokes, holy cannoli, holy you know, mercy Minerva, and all those things that we say. I'm just saying we probably should kind of rethink some of the things that we say. Not saying you're a bad person if you do that. And then there's, of course, the condemning word. And instead of saying that word, you know, we say darn or dern or doggone and dang and just all kinds of things like that. Just saying that if we want to be a woman after God's own heart, we really should pay attention to even that. Everything that comes out of our mouth and that someone else hears that we influence. Just think and be careful. Are words important to God? Yes. In Matthew 12, 36, it says, 
But I say unto you, for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And that always really scares me. I want my words, I feel like that when I get to judgment, I don't have any specifics about what that's going to look like. But I know that I'm going to stand by myself with my Creator, Jesus. And I'm going to be judged on the things I've said, the things I've done, the things I haven't said, and the things I haven't done. And I feel like somehow or other my whole life is just going to, you know, I'm going to see those opportunities I had that I didn't take. I'm going to see those things I said that were not in any shape, form, or fashion Christian. I'm going to hear those things that I said that offended other people. Um, And I just, maybe I could spend this last third of my life, should I be blessed, um, doing a better job with things like that. Because I know that's going to happen. That's what the Bible says. We're going to give an account, and this word says that. They're a difficult habit to break, let me just say that. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth for what is good for necessary edification. Ephesians 4.29 And as lights in a dark world, we set an example. And hey, I used to tell my boys, I I raised them to say yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir, they had to. And I said, hey, it's easy to stand out in the crowd these days. Nobody says yes ma'am. But you will show authority. You will show respect to the uh, a policeman who pulls you over, to the teacher who takes time out of her life to try and teach you um, algebra, and uh, every other person you come in contact. You will say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. It's just common courtesy, and I respect. I uh, insisted that they do that. As lights in the dark world, if we just teach our kids to do little things like that, I mean, imagine how they stand out today. You know. How they dress is kind of our attitude about things today. I saw my first shorts at a funeral the other day. Yep, we're doing it. Shorts at a funeral. I'm like, okay. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. I used to wonder, what has that got to do with salt? Well, um, in Bible times, you still know this, salt is a preservative. In the old salt houses and smoke houses, and salt has always been a preser- preservative. And in the Bible days, they would actually pay each other with salt, bags of salt. It was kind of rare, and that's where we get our word salary. It's from we get our word from their word for salt. And uh, so somebody along the way got a bag of sand of salt, and the sand we we learned this is sugar, sand, and the salt in Africa is all the same color. It's a little brown, you know, a little light brown. Uh, it looks funny putting that in your coffee, but that's what it is. It's sugar. So they got a bag of salt, and they noticed that the sand was the same color and consistency of the salt. So they decided to cut it with a little sand, and their buying power would go further. And so the next person got the bag of sand with the salt with a little sand in it, and then they did the same thing. And on down the line it went, and they kept cutting it with a little sand until it wasn't anything but a bag of sand. And so in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, God talks about be the salt of the earth. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Throw it in the street. That's all it is. It's a bag of sand. When we take our speech, our dress, our attendance, whatever we are into, and we look like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world, and act like the world, how does anybody know there's anything different in this building? 
We're just looking just like them. And so it's the sand and the salt thing. And then you have the light of the world. A city set up on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but upon a candlestick. And it giveth light to all that are in the house. And so that's how people glorify your Heavenly Father is you are different. And you don't feel bad about being different. And I've asked early on in this in this day for this group of ladies to stand up and speak out and let's change some of these things back around and let's get back to, to being a, a nation under God that we used to be known for. Salt and light. And our speech is part of that. Um, and anger is a part of that in a bad way. I've got some good things up there. And the way that we use our mouth... Losing our temper. When you walk away from giving someone a piece of your mind, would they say that you are a woman after God's own heart? Probably not. And if you've given so many people a piece of your mind, you don't have any part of your mind left. We've given it all away to people. But our mouths usually, I mean, God gave us a mouth and speech and a language to live together and to encourage each other, to teach each other, to edify our Christian brothers and sisters, do we use, how do we use our lips? Do we use our lips to build people up? Do we want people to, you know, just kind of secretly, just kind of stay where you are and like, oh, I'm not really good with you stepping out like that and doing that. Do we teach them as the gospel says in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 10? And did you know it is so much easier to discourage people than it is to encourage them? It's just easy. You know, you know why? Because you just don't do anything. That's discouraging. When someone at church steps out of their comfort zone and they teach a class this quarter or they have ladies night out or they host people over at their house or they do something and then you just don't attend, don't say anything, don't encourage them in any way so that they can feel their way and, and that's how we raise up leaders. That's why we're given speech. These lips are meant for good. And in worship, offering God the fruit of our lips, as it says in Hebrews 13, 15, what an obvious difference if we are worshiping on Sunday with the same lips that discouraged people last week and used God's name in vain. It's an obvious difference. Just be careful. Am I the type of woman, if I'm a woman that wants to be a woman after God's own heart, am I the type of woman that people would come up to me and ask me a Bible question? Hey, what was uh, Hagar's um, son's name? Um, I believe that was Ishmael. Well, that's what they want me to say. They don't want me to say, what do I look like, a Bible dictionary? (laughs) Are we approachable if somebody wanted to come to us and repent of something they had done to us. Maybe we didn't even know it. Are they thinking, I'm so scared, I'm so nervous to do this, I don't want to do this, this is so uncomfortable, and she's just not the type of person that's going to be nice about it. Well, if we're a woman after God's own heart, we will be, in in using our speech to be pleasing to God, encouraging, uplifting, edifying the brethren, that's how we ought to be using it. Okay, last one. Number six, prepare to repent. And I use repent uh, here. You can't separate repent and forgiveness because every time someone repents, someone had to forgive. And every time someone offers forgiveness, someone had to repent and ask for repentance. So I want to look uh, for a few minutes 
at my favorite example in the Bible of forgiveness and repentance, and it's probably yours, and you have just studied this and studied this, in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. We won't take time to read all that. I know you're familiar with the story. But there are basically three characters in this story of forgiveness and repentance and free will and grown children. And I mean, there's so much packed into those few verses. There was the father, a type of God, who raised and protected his boys through childhood. And now they were grown men. And he wanted them to stay there every day. He never wanted them to leave. And he wanted them to stay there and commune with him. And he had gathered material things for his boys' futures. And he guided them in the ways of righteousness. We're told that. Sounds like a great father to me. But even great parents can have a rebellious child. And it's not their fault. And this was not this father's fault. And one of his sons, the younger one, chose to leave. And after instructing his children and telling him, I'm sure he tried to talk him out of it, he gave him the free will to do whatever he needed to do, even though it made him sad. He did not stop Junior from asking for his inheritance and walking away. You know what the boy said? I mean, when a father died back then, the, uh, he, if he had two sons, he divided it into three parts. If he had three sons, he divided it into four parts. And the older child, the older son, got the double portion. So in this case, the man with two sons divided it in three parts. The older brother was getting two-thirds and the younger brother was getting a third. And when the son came in that day, he didn't just announce, I'm leaving, I'm taking my allowance and I'm leaving. He essentially said, you know what, I'm tired of waiting on you to die. I really wish you were dead so I could get my money and get out of here. This crummy farm. And so that's, that's essentially what he said, and the father gave it to him, even though he wasn't dead. And he waited there every single day for him to return. And here's the son. The son was faithful as long as he was at home, of course. He, but he wants to get away from being faithful. He, he's out of here. And so our children, while they're at home, 18, 19, whatever years that they're home and they're living in our house, of course they're faithful and they go to worship with us because we require that. Actually, I didn't know what kind of a parenting job I'd done until my kids left home, you know, to go to college. And so uh, I am pretty sure this is why that having faithful children is one of the requirements for an elder, for a man to be an elder. He's not responsible for his kids that are 30 and have gone away, but it does say... Having faithful children, that's not a child, that's a child or a teenager or children. If, if my, kid, my kids are 35 and 30, if you stop me on the road and say, hey, how many children do you have? I'd say two. They're not little, but they're my children, having faithful children. So um, Titus 1.6 says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Apparently this young man did not see the big picture in life. Serving our God is a lifestyle. And he was right where he should have been, but he took God off the throne and said, I know what you want and what my father wants, but I know just a little bit better. He didn't cherish his family and what he had there until much later. Uh, what's the saying? We don't know what we have until it's gone. Was there a mother in the picture maybe? I've often wondered that. If so, I, you know, I don't know, but I know that it hurt her, him being gone. She must have missed him just as much. It hurts everybody 
when uh, a child, an adult child, a child of any age, it hurts everybody when that child leaves. And we pray for them and we cry over them and we mourn and we pray and we do everything that we can do that tomorrow is going to be the day that they make the choice to come home. Let's look and see what this son said. He was selfish when he did this. He was self-centered. He left home with a pocket full of money jingling down the road and you couldn't have stopped him if you'd have wanted to. He had the world by a string on a downhill pull and nothing could have stopped him from doing what he was going to do. He waved it around. He wanted everything. He wasted all of it. And then he was the one in want. Do you realize in the Jewish culture how terrible it was to even be around a pig, to touch a pig? And at the end of this story, after everybody's gone off and left him, he finds himself in the hog pen and that slop looks pretty good. That's how low he went. And it says in Luke 15, it says, When he came to himself. Have you ever stopped and just pondered on that phrase a minute? Like the father, he just couldn't do anything else. It was out of his control. And one day the son, the Bible says, When he came to himself. See, we're not ourselves when we're in the foreign country. We're not ourselves. We're thinking and acting and saying and doing things that are not in our best interest. Can you imagine how he smelled? How he looked when he walked all the way back home and who was waiting on him? The father. And he saw him. Didn't wait for him to knock on the door. He saw him when he was way far away. And you all know this is our picture of forgiveness. No matter what we've done. No matter what we've done, how many times we've done it, or who knows about it. This is the action that we need to take. He asked for forgiveness from the Father and even suggested to the Father, just let me come back and I'll be a servant. He didn't just use the keys one night, sneak in the house, get a bath, and the next day go to the fields and act like nothing happened. He didn't do that. He humbled himself in the form of the servant and he was restored fully as a son in that house again. His father was so glad to see him back. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There's the action from God the Father to the son who repented. And repentance is necessary. And then there's the third person in the, in the story, the character of the brother. Which might be a type of a Christian, another Christian brother, another son. He was faithful to his father all of his years and he stood to inherit the rest of what the father accumulated until he died. The younger brother already had his. He worked hard for his father. I, you know, I'm going to give him a little credit. I bet he sat at the dinner table with him every night and saw the drawn, sad look on his father as he didn't even know where one of his sons was. I'm going to give it to him. It probably made him mad. And he continued faithfully every day up until this little episode. And he was working so hard out in the field, he didn't even know there was a party going on. The hired hands had to come and tell him, hey, there's a party going on. And in verse 28 of that chapter, it says, And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he, answering, said to his father, Lo, these many years I do serve thee, neither transgressed I every day, in any day thy commandment, and yet thou never gave me, you hear all the pronouns that changed? You never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. 
holier than thou, sound a bit like Jonah. Those people over in Nineveh, they're bad. They don't even need the gospel. They're too bad. I don't even want to go over there and tell them. The Jews portrayed in this story of forgiveness thought they were better than the Gentiles. And he lied when he said he never transgressed, because he did. He didn't appreciate the graciousness of his father, I know that. And the brother continued by saying this, As soon as thy son, he didn't call him my brother, he said, As soon as your son comes home, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed him for the fatted calf. Uh, I think he jumped to conclusions there. He didn't know what he'd been doing. Little assumption. He displayed some haughtiness. And hey, we don't ever, if we're going to be a woman after God's own heart, we don't ever need to be caught having these kinds of thoughts about a Christian who is in the wrong and comes back and repents. We don't have to be in the far country to, be, to sin. We can be sitting in the church building on our pew. We sin when we don't treat our brethren right when they repent. We can sin when we're secretly glad that they are finally suffering some of the consequences of the sin. We learn to be kind if we want to be a woman after God's own heart, Ephesians 4.32. We need to learn to confess our faults quickly, the sooner the better, James 5.16. And never doubt the genuineness of somebody's heart who has been in the far country and wants to come back. Love others as Christ loved me. And if I ever think about that, what all the bad things I've done, all the bad things I've said, all the bad things that I've been a part of in my life and that Christ forgives me in this way makes it easier for me to say, you know what, that person's not for me to worry about. But they keep coming forward for the whole, the same thing. He was just up here two months ago saying to help him with this. I don't think he's really crying. Trying. Not our problem. Give that to God. Don't need to worry about that. Need to treat him, treat our brethren the opposite of what this brother did. And we need to listen when somebody comes up to us and has a problem. And since we're the talky ones, you know, there's a bird here and a bird here, and we know which one's a female because the mouth's open. Uh, so when we're doing all of our talking and we're going to mess up and we're going to say things we shouldn't or they're going to take it wrong, and we need to explain. When somebody comes up to us, whether it's us or them, sin problem, personality conflict, whatever it is, we need to just listen. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I say it this way, tune in, tone it down, and sweeten up. So let's talk about forgiving others for a minute. Here's what God's Word says about the matter. It says plenty about it. You know, if we really take it the way it's meant, the Bible has the answers for everything. Marriage, raising children, getting along with others, relationship, what to do when there's a problem with somebody, how to, our work ethic. I mean, it's got it all covered. Here's what God's Word says about it. In Matthew 18, let me read you a couple of verses from there. Just real quick. Matthew 18, and I'm going to read 15, 16, 17. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, now that's, that's one way, Go to him and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If thou shalt hear him, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, then in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he neglect to hear the church, tell it, let him be as a heathen man and a publican. Matthew 8, um, 
Matthew 5.23, I think I have on the board, says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hast aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way, and first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. It does not say, offer it anyway. We come to the altar and we realize that we have somebody has aught against us. We offer it anyway. It does not say, go to an altar across town. And offer it over there. It says, go to them, fix the problem, and come back and worship together. But we won't do it. I'm not mad. I'm not. We have talked about it. I'm not mad. Everything's fine. Yeah. Um, could you get somebody else to do the communion with her next month? And I'll do it another month. I know what I'm talking about. We don't like conflict is one of the things, but we make it conflict when we don't go to our sisters and we clear up little things. What if it's, well that's if it's me. What if it's them? What if they've done something to me? Luke 17, 3 and 4 is on the board. But we won't do that either. So we have problems. We have people sitting in the pews trying to worship together on Sunday and they're not speaking to each other. And what if it's both? See how God, see how he does it? What if it's me? What if it's them? What if it's both? There's a solution. So Matthew 7, verse 12. I don't have my glasses on so I can't see that screen. Therefore all things whatsoever ye would do that men should do to you, do ye also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That little golden rule we used to recite in grammar school. It's too important to get this wrong. There's an elephant in the room. It's large and squatting, so it's hard to get around it. Yet we squeeze by with, how are you? And I'm fine. And a thousand other forms of trivial chatter. We talk about the weather. We talk about the office. We talk about school. We talk about everything else except the elephant in the room. There's an elephant in the room, and we know it's there. We're thinking about the elephant as we see each other and we talk occasionally. It's constantly on our mind. For you see, it is a very large elephant. It has hurt us all, but we do not talk about the large elephant in the room. Oh, please, please, can we really talk again? Can we laugh together as we once did? Oh, please, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. For if we talk about what drove us apart, perhaps we can talk about renewal, the renewal of old friends. Can I say these things and not have you look away? For if I cannot, then you are leaving me alone with an elephant in the room. And ladies, how can we spend eternity together in heaven when we can't spend a few hours a week together here on earth. And the truth of the matter is, we won't. We won't. And being a woman with a heart of repentance and humbleness is a way to be a woman after God's own heart. And that's a huge one right there. So, how about it? Do we possess these qualities? Are we daily seeking to be a woman after God's own heart? If not, it just takes a little mental work. It's not rocket scientists. We decide what we want to be. 
We've got the Bible. We've got a church somewhere that loves us and teaches us. I'm sure. We set a course. We make a plan. We work the plan. And what are we going to do about it? We've sat here today and y'all have listened to me go on and on about these topics that I chose today. Are we going to hear and do something about it? Or are we going to ignore it like it says in James 1.22? Don't be a, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Are we going to let the feminist agenda today that's all over everywhere rob us, rob our family, keep us out of heaven? Are we going to rearrange our priorities and watch them every day? You can't ever stop doing that. Are we going to keep ourselves pure no matter what? And there's some younger people today that still live in the house. These girls live in the house with their parents. Are you going to go change when your parents think that it's the best thing for you to do? You know, you're in training to be a woman after God's own heart. Are we going to treasure our life, our time, our blessings as a parent? Are we going to wish it away because it's an inconvenience? Are we going to watch our speech as we go along the world trying to be a light to a very dark world? Are we going to look at repentance in a biblical way and use it to seek peace and ensue it, like it says in 1 Peter 3.11? Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. I told you earlier that I just have this thing about regrets. And I overthink some things and overdo because I don't want to regret it after I'm back. I don't want to regret I didn't do that. didn't say that. And so I, I, I have thought of this, this situation, this scene in front of the judgment seat. And what are my regrets going to look like? Oh, I'm going to have some. Even though I don't like to have them and I do things to make sure I don't have them, I'm going to have some. I'm going to have plenty. I already do. I already regret things that have gone by the wayside. It's too late to go back and do it over again. I can only look forward. You know why the rearview mirror is so much smaller than the windshield? Because you're not going there. There's no sense looking there because you're not going there. You're going here. So sometimes all we can do about a situation is to go forward and do it better or do it over And so what am I going to be at the pearly gates that I'm going to have regrets about? Is it going to be about my spiritual goals that I never did anything about? I just lived? Is it going to be about pettiness? Pettiness. We spend a lot of time on petty stuff. Color of the carpet, what she said, how she said it, what he did. Is it going to be about materialism, materialistic things? I never had that. That's what I'm chasing. I just wish that I, I just wish I didn't care. I wish I had just stopped worrying about my house and my stuff and my car and my shoes. And I wish I'd spent more time with God's people. Is that going to be Jeannie's regret? Is it going to be my attitude? Like you don't even have to say it for it to be wrong. And that controlling our face thing. Is that going to be my regret? Why did I treat people like that? Just remember, heaven is the goal. Nothing, nothing else matters. We'll agree when we get there. And be a woman after God's own heart. And I'll leave you with this. Won't it be wonderful there, having no burdens to bear, joyously singing with heart bells all ringing, oh, won't it be wonderful there? And I appreciate all of you so much for this day that you have uh, 
blessed us all with, all of us that were able to attend. And if you'd like to get in touch with me in any, for any reason, I've got my contact information on the screen. And I will turn it over to your Masteress of Ceremonies. We had a few um, prayer requests turned in, so we're going to, like I told someone, one thing I did want to carry over from the retreat we did was that we do spend a few moments in prayer talking to God, and I think, I don't know, something about that is sort of, um, I don't know, kind of builds you up to know the thought that you can actually go and approach God's throne and that he's willing to listen to our request and hear us. So at this time, we're going to have a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Father, that as tiny as we are in the grand scheme of things in this incredible universe that you have created and that we're so tiny, even though in our own minds it seems like the world sometimes maybe revolves around us. We know, Father, that we're just really a speck in the in the amazing creation that you have made. But yet, Father, even though we are so tiny and in a comparison to everything else, you still love us and you want to hear from us and you want to talk to us. And we're so thankful, Father, that you're willing to just listen to what we have to say and you actually you enjoy hearing from us and we want to thank you Father for every blessing and thank you for this day and for all these ladies who took time out to come learn about you because they're, they're trying to seek to be better servants and obey you and just thank you Father first of all for just even being willing to hear us and that you care about us we thank you, Father, most of all for your Son, that you saw the value in us and that you sent him to die on the cross for us. We pray, Father, that in the days to come, with the way that, the, the way that society is becoming, Father, more than ever, we need people who are willing to stand firm and to stand for what is right and to do it in a way that people... that the world around us can see us living in you or you living in us and we pray Father that you'll please help us to know what to do and the things to say and to find ways to let our light shine and to stand up for you and to stand strong we pray Father for the church as it may in the years to come face even more adversity from outside sources Pray that you'll please help us to support our elders and the leaders of our congregations to hold your church up and to keep it the way that you want it to be and to stand strong in the face of adversity. We pray for our country, Father. We pray for those leaders who are a friend to you and that while their lives may not be exactly what you want, Father, they at least allow us to live the lives that we want to live. 
and to be able to serve you. And we pray, Father, that you'll please guide them and help them. Pray that you'll help them to prevail against the evil influences that are trying to overcome and to do horrendous acts that are unnatural and that are not right. Pray, Father, that you will pray for all those who are sick in each of the congregations that are represented here today. And we especially want to remember, Father, we've had some bring forth names uh, for Carolyn Cliffcorn, who is sick and lives in Wisconsin. Father, pray that she'll have her heart turned toward you and that she'll seek your word and that she'll want to obey you and to be a Christian. We pray for our own Jean Griffith as she struggles um, with her battle of cancer. Please hold her in your hand. We pray for those who have recently lost loved ones that you'll hold them close, Father, and guide them in the dark days ahead until, and that they'll find comfort in you. Pray for those battling depression. We pray for those who couldn't even be with us today because they're caregivers and they had to stay with their loved ones. Pray thanking you for every blessing, Father, and pray that as these ladies go home today that you'll please be with them and keep them safe and pray that they'll feel renewed and more, even more willing to serve you and to do what's right. We pray, Father, for our military and we pray for the law enforcement and first responders and our teachers who are trying to do the best to be a good influence and to let your light shine. Pray, Father, thanking you for every single blessing and thank you for this wonderful day and for Jeannie and their ability to teach your word and to be able to open your word up to us so that we can hear it. And we thank you for everything, Father, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. It's hard to believe it's already come to a conclusion. And... Um, First of all, I want to thank Jeannie with some excellent lessons. Anytime you, you can't say that you didn't hear the Word of God today because she, you know, she had the verses. Everything she taught came from God's Word, and I appreciate that. And we appreciate her traveling all the way from Virginia and made it through snow and ice to be here and a missing interstate that I forgot to tell her about. I'm just glad she heeded the caution things and didn't try to go. What was it, that scene from Smokey and the Bandit, I think, where the car goes over? But I uh, want to thank the ladies at Midway. They did a fantastic job. The girls that led singing, the ones that led, that led us in prayer and read scripture, they were wonderful. I never had to beg a single person to help. They just stepped right in and took care of it, just took care of everything. Um, and want you to stay because we do have lunch prepared and they've been working like little uh, worker bees down there taking care of that. And Sue Gill is about to come and she's going to thank uh, God for our food and going to close us out, dismiss us. When you go to go to our fellowship hall, you'll go to the right and go past the bookstore that we have and go all the way to the end of the hall and you've got an option. We have an elevator that you can take if... Um, you know, you can't do well with the stairs. But then, just as you, if you go all the way into the hall, you'll see a big set of stairs and go down, and that takes you to our new fellowship hall. So you have stairs or the elevator that you can take. So I'm going to let Sue give thanks for her food, and we'll be dismissed. <laughs>